0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 56, Act 1, James C. Horton, Arm Yourself with Hope, recorded August 8, 2022.
1: Let's start it up now.
2: Hey, hey, TA Podians. Welcome to Teaching RSU Podcast. This podcast is research recorded and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Hey, hey, y'all. We have surpassed 30,000 listens. Thanks so much for choosing this indie podcast. We absolutely love and appreciate you. Help us get to 40,000 listens by inviting your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We can also be heard on any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and so much more. Have you heard of Little Amal? Um, if you haven't, I recommend checking out Walk with A M A L, dot org. Little Amal is a little girl on a big journey. She is a 12-foot giant puppet of a 10-year-old Syrian refugee girl at the heart of quote-unquote the walk. Since July of 2021, she has traveled nearly 6,000 miles or over 9,000 kilometer across um, 12 countries representing all children fleeing war, violence, and persecution and each with their own story. So little Amal's message to the world is don't forget about us and from mid-september to early october little amal is walking all five boroughs in new york city um and right now she's she's just been exploring all the boroughs um and there's a beautiful beautiful message with so many threads around social justice and conversations and action and um there's this amazing international symbol of compassion and human rights. And she carries this message of hope for displaced people everywhere, especially children who have been separated from their families. So at each of these events, you know, people are here to greet her and show her different parts of the city. And I am um, I'm really impressed by, there's the, the people who built the puppet, um, are the same people who made, um, the puppets for war horse. If you've seen that play, um, or, or the movie, I guess, but the, the play has the puppets and, um, um, she's so expressive and she doesn't speak, but she's so expressive and you just sort of, you know, are, are enthralled, um, by her. And so, um, they have partnered with St. Anne's warehouse, but for each event they, they have, um, partnered with, uh, different cultural organizations in those regions or those areas of New York City. And so um, last week I was able to see um, one of the earlier events that was at the main branch of the New York Public Library on 42nd Street partnering with the New Victory. And um, wow, I can't quite describe what happened while I was witnessing this amazing and stunning event um, or what happened to me, but my, my heart just like cracked open in a way that I haven't felt maybe ever, but definitely in a long time. And I I simply love that it's art and witnessing, you know, the wonder of this giant puppet, this 10-year-old girl discovering and interacting with puppet books and bubbles and butterflies that moved me in ways that I don't have words for. Um... And then additionally, like each of the events have their own sort of flavor um, and tone. And I also supported an event in, that was um, in Central Park uh, leading a, a very large group of kids and adults with a mall to find clues on a treasure hunt to find cake because mall was hungry from all of her walking and the the um the the energy was very high high octane fun playful silly and there was so much joy and laughter and creativity it was it was just wonderful this is cr- incredibly special event and i was exhausted <laughs> by the end of it but what fun um so I, I, uh, if you're in new york city um absolutely find a way to see and witness and, and engage because it will change you. Um and if you're not, check it out on social media or on their website. And and I know that there'll be more tours, so they're definitely going to be going to more countries and maybe different parts of the states um in future. But I want to just leave you with this last quote um from Amir Nazir Zwabi, who's the artistic director of Little Amal Walks in New York City. Quote, the core of this project is empathy is to fight indifference, because indifference is like a stone. You can't turn it, it's what it is. The minute you start cracking indifference, something happens. And so that actually takes me to our guest for today, um, James C. Horton. I've known James for a while now, and this interview is an opportunity for me to take things a bit deeper. And I just love James's presence. I always have. Um, I love the way he discusses this work in this field. And big news is that James has been named as the next president of Harlem School for the Arts. And now as of the date of this interview, um, James was the vice president uh, of education and engagement at the Museum of the City of New York, where he's now transitioning into this new role. And he'll take over that leadership position in October. I just said that, right? So very exciting time. I could not be more thrilled for him and the organization. And so in this episode, we learn about James's upbringing and arts engagement growing up, his discovering his love of theater and acting, and emerging into a youth development and community engagement career. I'm so excited for you all to hear what he has to say. So here is episode 56, act one, James C. Horton, arm yourself with hope. Hello, James.
3: How you doing today, Courtney?
2: Today I'm doing okay. Yourself? I'm doing well.
3: It's hot. It's going to be hotter tomorrow, but I'm cool.
2: <laughs> it's going to be hotter tomorrow. Yeah, you're. we're in two different locations, so... Where I am, it's gloomy and rainy, okay. and tomorrow will be a little chilly. So, and by chilly, it's like chili? 73. Chilly?
3: <laughs> Ooh, I would love chilly right now.
2: Yeah, I, I got the the notification from Con Ed. It was like, please reserve. How, how hot is it?
3: It was in the 90s today. Tomorrow is supposed to be 97. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> something else right now. So. It is something else.
2: Yikes. Um, Tell us, tell us what your current role is.
3: Yeah. So I'm currently uh, the vice president for education and engagement at the museum of the city of New York. Professionally, that is, that is my current role.
2: Mm. And how long have you worked there?
3: God, it's been about a year and eight months now. Excellent. A little over a year and a half.
2: Okay. Good for you, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, we're gonna learn more about your your origin story, where you came from, okay. and we'll get back to like what specifically falls under education engagement in your sure. current role. Um, but uh, for starters, what how are you doing? How are you, your loved ones? What's going on with your-, your
3: Everybody's good for the most part. The kids are all working the summer, so that's fine. Uh, my oldest daughter is home from college, which is beautiful, um, to have a full house again. Uh, but everybody's really good, good health, extremely blessed, and, um, and looking forward to getting back to school, actually, believe it or not. They, they are bored with summer, um, which was fun to hear. But at the same time, I was like, what is wrong with kids these days? You know?
2: I think it's that grind culture.
3: I think it is, too.
2: Like we we did that to them.
3: I think it is too. I also have boys who are my sons are going into their senior year of high school and they're ready to go to college. They're like, let's let's get it going, Pop. Let's get it going.
2: I was not as enthusiastic about going to college. I was very excited about my senior year though. Very, very okay. excited. I had a great time my senior year. Um ultimately I loved college, but like I, I personally didn't feel like I was given a choice whether I was going to go to college or not um but I got my choice of where I got to go <laughs> but yeah um but so that's exciting to hear how many kids do you have four four yeah. and they're they're how old
3: 21 17 year old twin boys and then 15 two boys and two girls
2: nice and and do you live in the city
3: yeah we, we're in Harlem
2: we're right in Harlem Ah, yeah, all right okay raising a whole family in New York City.
3: It's, it's, it's fun. You know, they, they're way smarter than I was when I was that age. They're city kids,
2: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I do know. I know the city kid. Um, uh, question. Where did you grow up?
3: I grew up in Chicago.
2: Hey, that's where I am.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in Chicago between my mom and my dad's, um, the south suburbs and the city. Um, I always went to school in the south suburbs because they, they had better football teams and better schools. Um, but I always went back and forth between my parents' homes and uh so I spent a lot of time in Chicago and a lot of time in the south suburbs. Uh, so yeah. All
2: right. Well I was today I was in Evanston, which is okay. a place north where side. my north side yeah, north side. My my mom grew up here in the south side of Chicago. Um And my parents met in Chicago Though my dad was originally from Alabama, but his father lived here. So we'd come up, um, while he was in college, he would come up here in the summers and spend time with him. And one of those summers they met. Um, and then when they got married, they moved to Evanston and lived there before they moved to New York.
3: Oh, okay. Very cool. So, but you're from New York.
2: Yeah. I wasn't born, um, until a couple of years after they moved.
3: Okay, one of my best friends lives in Evanston.
2: Yeah, it's cute yeah. there. It's nice. It's yeah. nice, it's comfortable little city, you know. It was super cute. I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, I really like Chicago, though. Uh, right now I'm in downtown. And it's a little, it's a little funky down here. It's funky. It's yeah. like pretty. Like I'm right by Buckingham Fountain. Oh, okay. It's so you're right near like Millennium Park. Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's nice, but it's you know the vibe is a little funky i'm not gonna lie Yeah, but i guess that's probably the same in most downtowns cities these days
3: indeed but um it's a lovely city in the summer though and the winter down there is no fun but um in the summer being by the lake and being Mm -hmm. able to hang out in the park uh some of the concerts it's nice
2: no it's really nice um when it was nicer weather earlier in the weekend, um, yeah, everybody was out at the beaches, um, swimming. I saw a lot of people. The lake is gorgeous.
3: Yeah, yeah, the lake is is beautiful.
2: Yeah, a lot of swimmers in the the lake. Yeah. Which I think, you know, from my, you know, like, I'm so New York centric because I'm like, why are people swimming in that? But it's like, oh, right. This is not the, the Hudson River or the East River. This is a lake.
3: <laughs> you know, they talk about how much the lake is polluted. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've when every time I've gone out there and I've seen it, it's been beautiful. I'm like, what y'all talking about? Yeah. Um, it looks great.
2: It was beautiful. It was like blues and turquoise. I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah. So did you enjoy so you grew up in the mainly you went to school in the south suburbs yeah. um you said something about football so you played football
3: I played football uh football was life football is still somewhat life um but I played football and that is what I think sort of kept me on the straight and narrow and out of trouble um you know my friends were like no nah, he he plays ball he can't he can't mess with us over here and and, and get into certain activities but uh but football was uh was my foundation very much so sports yeah. in general
2: yeah so football what else did you play
3: I played basketball um I ran track I sprinted um I was not a distance runner I hated distance running um so I ran the hundred uh I was a lot leaner when I did that believe it or not and I'm currently sitting my like Bro, you did not look like you ran anybody's track.
2: <laughs> I well, You know, actually, what I was thinking about was my dad ran track as a kid. Okay. And I, when I knew him, he was just like this big, portly man. And he was always faster than everybody. He was also a sprinter. So yeah. I, that's all I was thinking. There was nothing. Okay, there was...
3: <laughs> but no, sports. I mean, I come from a sports family. Uh, it was a way for my father and I to connect, um, a way for my, my other relatives and I to connect. Across the country, most of my family is from Philadelphia. My mom's side is from Philadelphia, and my dad's side was from Florida. Um, and so it was sort of neutral territory when we came together to talk about sports and our and our athletic achievements, uh, which was really cool. And it was a way for my dad to see me as sort of you know academically I was I was never a great student ever ever. Um, but sports was the thing that kept me eligible. I did the work to stay eligible so that I could play. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that, you know, I think he saw a little bit of himself and appreciated that in me. And it's just a great way to connect. Damn, that's a good memory. Um, It was just a great way that uh, he and I connected around football in particular, uh, because he swore up and down that he was stronger than me, faster than me. Um, I was like, pop, come on, man. Uh, I was like' you, you, don't, you don't want that smoke uh but yeah <laughs> I would never say that of course Courtney but um but it was it was fun
2: <laughs> I mean I think it's interesting just thinking about relationships uh parental relationships and what what you feel like you can connect with you, you yeah. know if you have both parents like what can you find that's like a, a common ground that you can build build on yeah. and so yeah. I, I I appreciate what you're saying um and I'm just curious because you are working in the arts and yeah. I often feel like, you know, our exposure to the arts generally happens when we're younger. So how were you engaged in the arts?
3: So so art has always been a real quintessential part of my life. Um, I grew up um, going to art museums with both of my parents. My father uh, was in business and he was also, um, I guess, like a pre-professional percussionist or a passionate percussionist where he just played music all the time. Um, and mom was always uh, appreciated art. She bought artwork um, in the home and encouraged me to engage. And I have uh, one of my mother's dearest friends, God rest her soul, uh, Nina Smoot Kane, who was uh, an Urban Gateways artist. Who's who, She's a muralist, um, a tile muralist. And her artwork is all over Chicago actually. Um, but she used to take me to her studio as a little boy. and pay me like a dollar to cut tile. Um, and I remember, and you know, she just so sort of, here's a sketchbook and like, oh, here's a sketchbook. And I I'd draw stuff and and I, it was cool because I was able to be in my head and in my feelings um, of expression. And then my dad, you know, I played band, I played in the band a little bit, uh, but then I had to make a choice between going the musical route or getting serious about sports. When um, high school came around, I chose sports. Um, but that was another way for me to connect with my dad. I mean, he sort of put some drumsticks in my hand. It's like, yo, just beat on it, man. Just beat on it. It feels good. His hands were like, I mean, they were wood cuz he played on um, djembe and the congas. Um uh, but he also played all sorts of other instruments. Never really got good at the piano, but um but that art has always been sort of my go-to, my safe space. Um just just that thing that I could exercise my heart, if you will, uh, and do it with family, do it alone um, and just be, you know, it was really cool. And I found myself able to connect in different ways. I took drawing classes. Um, My mother's friend's art studio was probably two blocks away from the elementary school I went to and I didn't have an after-school program. And I used to go over there and um, take drawing classes and um, wow, and I remember um, after this this program, she did like, she took some of our artwork and framed it in the studio. And uh, and my grandmother bought my artwork when I was a little kid. And I mean, like gave me 50, $60 in the 80s when that was a lot of money, you know? And I spent it all on GI Joes and stuff, but you know, um, so my appreciation of art and sort of, you know, dabbling, creating, making, it started at a very early age. Um, and while my mother was never an artist, always appreciated and and really, you know, held up and, and was exposed and exposed me um, as well as the rest of the family. So it was really cool. I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my me time is still precious to me. Um, and anytime I can spend my me time creating uh it's it's just you know it's, it's sort of like church, you know.
2: Nice. And and so would you would you say that you're an artist? Would you do I identify as one?
3: I say now I'm more of a craftsman than an artist. Mm-hmm. Um I do woodwork primarily. Um I make slingshots. Uh yeah, I I make um I make some pretty amazing slingshots. If you check out my IG, um mm-hmm. at Wave Custom Shooters um they're they're pretty they're pretty nice yeah
2: cool I don't think I've ever met anybody who makes slingshots no no I really did I went through an inventory <laughs> okay
3: <laughs> if you do know somebody introduce me to them it's a, it's a real interesting community
2: it's, oh tell me tell me what the community's
3: like you know, it's it's a bunch of folks all over the world who who are slingshot hobbyists. There's competitions that happen all over the world where people bring homemade slingshots and and use them. Uh, there's different type of bands and different type of ammunition, and there's hunting slingshots. There's there's reinforced wristband slingshots. There's um sling bows where people use arrows. Um, It's 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 pretty expansive everything I do is natural so I I have wave naturals Um, I just like to work with the natural shape of the forks of the trees Um, dry them out carve them stain them paint them Uh, and then I use different tension bands depending on I can go on and you're gonna have to stop me.
2: no I'm, I'm fascinated
3: but, you know, you use different bands for different types of occasions. Like if you're going to hunt with them, you probably use a stronger resistance band. There's flat bands and there's tubes and you can shoot over the fork, through the fork, um, sideways for, you know, this it's it's a beautiful sport.
2: I have a question, though. How did you get into this?
3: So, so my dad um, used to make slingshots with me and... You know i did not really remember he did that until i was walking through the park one day i always carry a pocket knife with me not just because a pocket knife is a handy thing to have and um and when i had kids i, I ain't had no money at all um and i was like they need toys and what we spend so much time in central park and um i was looking at a branch and i was like i'm gonna make a slingshot so you know i i sawed off some branches i got the y shape uh, whittled it down, took it home, got some rubber bands and rubber, and made it hours of entertainment, shooting paper around the house. I mean, hours of entertainment. And I enjoyed doing it and they enjoyed watching me do it. So we started doing it together. Um, and they would, you know, we'd be walking and hiking, um, you know, Central Park throughout the city, literally walking around, and we see down branches, and they'd be like, the- Pop, come cut this, come cut this. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I pull out a knife and I'm cutting and nobody's messing with me because they're like, what is this brother doing? He don't look like he's harming anybody, but he's really happy. And his kids are like, hurry up, hurry up. Um, So we collect a bunch of forks, bring them home and and we make slingshots together. So, yeah, it sort of started as... You know, dad and I doing it just to hang out and play. And then I was like, I, these kids need some toys and I don't want to spend money on toys because we need food. Um, but then it turned into a passion. And for me, it's more of a, so much of this world is digital. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm a real analog dude. I enjoy digital. Um, it's fun to engage, but there's nothing like going for a walk, being in the woods, sitting down for a couple hours because you're carving a stick that God made you know um and it's peaceful and it's it's real you know at the end of the process I have something that I made with the earth um so so yeah they, they have become a big part of me I do this whole workshop around tension and values and understanding how to focus that tension. Um, You know, catapult sports, um, archery, slingshots. um, That's a real thing. And it's all about, you know, breathing, relaxing shoulders, managing focus, and sort of using that tension, focusing that tension to hit your target. Um, And that is a beautiful metaphor, I think, for life and being anchored by your core values, which is the frame. Um, You know, that tension it's everything. If you don't steady it, if you don't focus it, you're not going to hit your target. But if you take your time, you draw it back and you let it go. You hit your target every time.
2: I like that. I I love that you you took something that was very practical and it was connected back to your dad and then something that you could do with your kids. And then you've built this whole world. That is that part of it is the me time that you were referring to the sharing and then building it into this larger community all the way to now we've got a metaphor for life. How do you think that, that way of that metaphor, how does that sort of manifest in your, in your personal life and your professional life?
3: Yeah, great question. In my personal and professional for me, I have done so much work over the past few years to just make this my life so that it does not have to be one or the other. Um, I feel more whole when I am myself in every environment. Um, And so when I think about this idea of tension, nothing exists without tension. That's what holds the universe together. Every great movement is, is is tension. You know, you think about the artist or the 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 pianist, you know, on the keys, the drummer, you know, on the drum, the sculptor chiseling the rock, the dancer storing tension in their, their legs and their arms and releasing it through a move, the vocalists, the vocal cords are all about tension. You know, um, every single aspect of art is based in tension and how we exercise that tension and, and show it. And I think of that as if there's no tension, then you have nothing. Um, the challenge is being able to focus it, harness it and create um, from that. You know, uh, And if you can bring all of it together, uh, there's a great power in that. Uh, and we see it happen all the time. You know, one of the reasons why people love sports is because it's real tension um, and energy is real and the transference of energy, um, you know, inspires people to use that tension, to focus it, to achieve a desired outcome. So I see it every day and every single thing that I do. Um, I think love is one of the greatest examples of tension that exists. That's why I feel so good and hurt so bad, you know? Uh, when it's right and when it's wrong, because that is that tension that you feel, that that give and take, that pull, that reciprocal relationship. So, um, yeah, that is that is how I relate to to this idea of of tension and how it sort of binds us all and, and connects us all.
2: After high school, yeah, what did you do next?
3: Yeah, so I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um and <laughs> had the time of my life. 60 <laughs> miles outside of New Orleans. Um, and we were able to get there in 45 minutes. Um, but I, I went to school at Southern University, and uh, ended up majoring in theater and um and minoring in marketing. Um, and and that was that sort of gave me another foundation, a way of being, if you will. Uh, and using the spoken word in theater, that other community to really, to really tap into and build and build up who I am now.
2: So you d- you played sports?
3: Yeah, I went away to school to play ball, ah. and I broke my ankle.
2: Oh, and I
3: found theater. I took an acting class, acting three eighty. Mm. Um, I gave you the short version of the story. I don't know why. Um, so I took an acting class. Um, cause I was just curious and, and life was shit and I hated everyone and including myself. And I took an acting class cause I was always curious and, um, I got on stage and the, the instructor, Dr. Maurice Berger, he said, find a monologue. And I was like, I don't know what the hell a monologue is. It's like it's a passage. It's like, it's a soliloquy. I was like, bro, I don't know what a soliloquy is either. Um, I played football cause I knew I was going to the NFL, not going to be a thespian, um, it is a speech by a character. Got gotcha. you, I can find a speech by a character. Um, so I chose this play, Zoo Man. Uh, and I picked the monologue from the character Zuman And it captured everything that I felt at the time. Um, you know, he was cussing and, and you could hear him yelling in the monologue. And I felt like I could see him, but it captured my heart. And so I was like, I'm gonna do it. You know, I, I, I had nothing left. I was just, I'm gonna do it. So I got on stage and I did this monologue and I remember people in the audience, It's probably like 15 kids in the class. They was like, oh, he can ready to get put out of school. (laughs) And Dr. Berger, sure enough said to me, you know, I'd like to speak to you after class. I was like, dude, um, why did you do that? You know, I'm kicking myself. And I mean, he said to me, he said, that was amazing have you ever thought about theater? I said, what? He said, that was amazing. You embodied the character. Um, I forgot that I was watching James read and it was one of the greatest compliments in an academic environment that I had. Is probably the greatest compliment I had ever been given in an academic environment that was not sort of a pat on the back or a rub on the head for getting an A. Um, he's like, I, my major at the time was marketing. And he was like, have you thought about theater? I was like, no, man, I can't do that. My parents would kill me. He was like, theater and marketing are like peanut butter and jelly. Um, They go together well. This is what you should do. And I did it, I listened to him. Probably one of the only people I ever listened to in life, but I listened to him. Um, And that was all she wrote. I fell in love, school had new meaning. Theater, again, is the ultimate team sport. You know, you gotta rely on everybody to play their role from those who are on stage, off stage, set design, ticketing ushers. I mean, it is truly, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you know, um. and it brought me back to life and gave me meaning and purpose again, outside of, of the stadium, the football field.
2: I love that. That's a great story. You should never tell the short story. Yeah. Ever get, yeah, get so- into that. I, I, here's what I hear in, inside of that and here's where I connect um, I, I also did a lot of sports in, in high school sports for me was, was the reason why I finally like clicked into high school and like getting okay. more involved because I easily could have gone a different route easily yeah. like a negative route and um, uh, and I always liked to do theater as a kid um, and but I wasn't like the theater kid you know the quote unquote yeah, yeah. theater kid um, I had auditioned for something in in my freshman year, didn't get a part, and I just sort of was like, oh, whatever. And then in junior year, I ended up being in a student run production, and I was like, oh man, it was ensemble based. You know, it was three different students in my grade who were who were like the choreographer, the director the, the co directors, and it was just such a positive experience for me that I really was like, I think, I think theater is for me, but I also enjoy these other things. And when I went to college, I ended up majoring in, in communications, but the first thing, and I took a, I took an intro to theater class. because I knew nothing about like the history of theater or anything. And I auditioned for the first play and I got a, I got a tree part or a non-speaking role. And it was like, just that alone, just being able to be on stage or be in these rehearsals and be in this theater space was everything and and I was working with young people who they all they all wore those theater kits. so I was like fascinated by how they interacted with each other, how they knew all these things and and so it was it was for me the being in that play, that first play, and obviously I was in more, but like being in that first play for me was better than being in a classroom because I felt like I learned so much, all those things that you're talking about, like the, the, the idea of that sort of sport, ultimate sport, the ensemble building, the understanding about, um, you know, technical theaters, stage management, directing, um, acting, all a uh, set design, light design. Like I, I, I had a crash course through that one production and then changed my major the next, the next year, uh, going into the next year, but, and I never look back, but the, but the idea that somebody could say, this is, this is for you, when you would never know, right? It's very powerful.
3: And I think it's, it's powerful for someone to recognize, you know, that's one of the things I love about the arts is that you get kids who may not be the best students, right? But they recognize the different competencies in being good cuz so much of what we tell kids is like do good in school get straight A's why cuz you get opportunities and i see so many kids beaten up and broken adults beaten up and broken because they did not get good grades they did not get straight A's they flunked out of school and nobody ever told them that Yo, you're really good at this thing. What if you were to go in that direction? Um, So I I just, I think it's really powerful to recognize a whole young person, uh, which it sounds like we were fortunate enough to have educators around us that saw us and all of our glory and all of our infinite possibility when we were young um, to go down that route and not be afraid to go down that route as, as black and brown people during the time when, if you you, bro, you cannot go to school for theater, what type of work you gonna do? You know, I was fortunate enough to have parents who were like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, all right, you you believe in this, I'm, I'm gonna rock with you. They had questions themselves, but never let me know that they mm-hmm. had questions about that uh, until I got older and they were like, oh, you made a life for yourself in the arts, very impressive. Yeah. Um, you don't ask me for nothing. Very impressive. Uh, I appreciate it too, you know? <laughs>
2: uh, I-, I can't say exactly the same uh, in terms of never asking them for anything. But uh, yeah, when I when I told them I was gonna change my, it was more of my dad because he was the one who was like paying for college and told me very clearly when he dropped me off, like I got the first four years, you graduate in four, you are you're golden. If not, it's all on you. <laughs> and I was like, heard. Um, and so when I changed my major, I was really nervous about telling me. I was like, even explored, like, maybe I could be a communications minor, but I hate communication. I, did not, I was not feeling it. And, and then I thought, well, maybe I could be a Spanish minor. You know, I really worked all the angles. And I and I was really trying to make sure that I graduated in four years. So I couldn't actually, I didn't have enough time to finish a, a Spanish minor. So I, I dropped that. And then I told him, like, when I told him, I was like, look, I can, I can change my major and still graduate in four, four years. And he was like, and, and this is what you want. And I was like, y- yeah, I really, I like, I, I even did this, this, this research and this research. And I, and I think this is what I end up, I will end up doing, but I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I know I will work in theater. And he was like, if you change your major, I will support it, but you have to use this degree you have to promise me you're going to use this degree. And I was like, of course I'm going to use it. <laughs> Why would I go through all this if I'm not going to use it? You know, but at the time I didn't, I didn't see what he could see, which was, you know, you're just doing this to do this. And then you could end up doing something completely different, which in in fact, after college, I didn't go into theater right away. Right after school, I was lost. Uh, by the time I graduated, I, I knew that I, I I knew a few things. One, I knew I really liked theater. I really liked the whole, like everything there is to to do with theater, but I didn't know which direction to go in. I felt like I was, I understood and really enjoyed acting. I knew I liked directing after taking a directing class. I knew I enjoyed theater, uh, technical theater and was starting to get good. Like I was like basically an assistant master electrician by the time I graduated. And um, between those three, those three things. And I understood these other, you know, these other things, but I, I wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't sure if I had the chops to be in the business, you know what I mean? And so I was like, I feel like I need more school. I think so that summer after college, I, I went home and I just thought, let me give my, like everybody was going backpacking and I was like, I don't got that money. So why don't I just like figure like, why don't I just take the summer I'll get yeah. like a little, you know, an easy job, like an easy summer job and yeah. figure out what my next step is. And I, I didn't, I couldn't figure out if I was going to go to grad school. I didn't want to go there right away. I wanted to get some life experience, but I didn't know what it was. And so ultimately where I initially started to focus was, okay, if you want to be an actor, like you have this degree, but you you didn't go to a conservatory and you don't actually have like the, the depth. So I ended up um, considering applying um, for either Stella Adler or the Neighborhood Playhouse. And yeah. in the meantime, I was working with an acting teacher. So okay. I started that. That's That was my, my summer out of college. Okay. And then my dad was like, you need a job. You need a real job. <laughs> and I was okay. like right right so i ended up getting an office job while i was still studying with this actor and trying to like do figure out or this coaching this acting coach and i was trying to figure out you know how do i get into the city where do i go so i was taking i was doing the artist way um and i was taking myself on artist dates, always going to the city and i was like putting myself in places to say like is the city is manhattan for me and I would go to like the public and I was, had no money. So I would go to the, I had enough money to like pay for a, you know, a train trip in and out of the city yeah. and get, maybe get some lunch or something. And so I would go to um, different museums that were free. Um, I would go to Battery Park and I would like dream and I would go to the, uh, the, uh, the library, the main library and look at the exhibits and read books So that that was what I sort of how I started. And and in that time, I I did some studying on conservatories, but I also found the program at NYU. And I thought, okay, okay, I do like working with kids. I really love theater, but I have no idea how to teach. and I don't want to be a classroom teacher. Mm, Hold on to this one. Just hold on for a sec and let's see what, what else. So Ultimately I ended up um, getting a job in ticket services at roundabout and that gave me an, a window into a particular path um, and understanding nonprofit and understanding, um, you know, just like being able to see so much theater for free was like, imp- like that was part of the the research, yeah. you know? Um, and then I, I, uh, Uh, one of my, one of my managers was producing a play and needed a stage board op. And I was like, I can do that. I don't have to do that. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay. Okay. This is what you're going (laughs) to do. Because I was starting to get job after job in this off Broadway realm. And I was like, okay, you're going to get your equity card through tech theater while you're still studying and trying to figure out what you're going to do in terms of acting. And then everything else will come after that. You'll figure that out. And then I was like disillusioned with New York City and I needed to get out. So the next summer, this was like two summers after college. I was like, I gotta, I gotta go. And maybe I'll, um, anyway, I took this job that was just for the summer and I took a hiatus from roundabout. Ultimately I never came back, but I, I went to a theater camp I wasn't doing the theater part. I was doing the kid part. I was like a assistant camp director. Okay. And then I was like watching all these kids thrive or not thrive, depending at this yeah. camp. And I was like fascinated by the, the camp counselors who also doubled as stage managers and, and, uh, cl- uh, teaching artists basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do you, how did you learn how to teach that? Like, when did you learn how to teach improv? how did you learn how to teach whatever? Yeah. um uh, like theater games. What? How do you learn to do that? They're like, well, this is just how they were all, you know, from Britain from uh, yeah, Britain. So they all like just grew up with that. And I was right. like, okay, okay. I know what I want to do now. It's, I think it's, I think I, what I want is to go into education and also learn how to do this stuff. <laughs> um, yes. So that, that's ultimately how I got into educational theater. But yeah. So the acting thing never came, in terms of like professional conservatory. But then I I was finding other ways to perform. Yeah. Good. It's interesting though because sometimes when I'm working with our production team, I'm like, oh, I could have this. Like I could easily have ended up here. Yeah. Easily.
3: Yeah. I'm I'm always, you know, I have a very similar story. Sort of, I've, I've I came to New York to act. That's how I got here. Mm-hmm. I came to New York to act. And did that for a while, um, like two years, and was just like, "This is empty. this is not this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought it would be this full, lively experience where I work with these people and we have this love and this family, but it was really transactional, and I found myself trying to prove myself and prove that I'm worthy of a part. Um, and I was just like, this is not, this ain't it. Um, and so I I started doing behind the scenes work and prop styling and styling sets, um, and fell in love with it. it was like, yo, I'm telling the story visually. Um, and it was just another part of being, you know, a different role on the team. Mm-hmm. Still right there next to it. Um, and, you know, and some days I'd sit there like, right, you just you gave up on it. Um, I don't think I gave up on it. I sort of refocused it. Um, and then 9-11 happened and nobody was filming or doing anything. And I was young and irresponsible in New York City with all of my money and was like, "Um, I got to figure it out and figure it out quick. I'm going to be living on the streets. And I saw an opening for a teaching artist position, an AmeriCorps position. um, It was then the Reedland Center for Families and Children. It is now known as the Harlem Children's Zone. Mm -hmm. And I was—I knew somebody who worked there. One of my best friends, his 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 um, girlfriend worked there. I was like, "Yo, I need a, I need a gig. I don't even care how much it is. I just I need a I need a job." And I did not want a normal nine to five job. I knew that for a fact. And I had a couple summer jobs working with kids in Chicago and in Chicago Heights. Um, and so I knew I could I could work with kids, and I always had you know, I love working with young people. Um. And so I did that and I got bit by the youth development bug and was like, this is amazing. Was teaching theater and video production and um, community art, um, reclaiming green spaces where there were vacant lots in in Harlem, uh, very different Harlem that I started working in. Um, And that was sort of all she wrote. And it sent me down this beautiful path of youth development and sort of um, community engagement. Um, that I would have never, ever thought or chosen for myself had it not been for this skill I had in my backpack of being able to, to theater, you know? Um, and I found myself like, oh my God, this has taught me how to speak publicly, how to call myself, how to present myself, um, how to work with others in a very different way, how to listen deeply. Um, how to interpret literature, how to read, how to study. I was like, yo, this thing changed my life. And I didn't know it was doing what it did when it was doing what it was doing. Um, but it did it, you know? Uh, and it has set me down, a, I think, you know, a wonderful career path to be of service to my community uh, in a very different way um, and use the art as the primary vehicle to do so.
2: Yeah. Thanks for t- I, you just got us back on track. I like it. Um, so yeah. So that was your first teaching gig. Yeah. In yeah. Two, in two thousand what two thousand one or two thousand? You can make
3: me age myself. In I mean, two thousand one, it was it was November two thousand one
2: mm-hmm.
3: when I started working with the Harlem Children's Zone and I got an AmeriCorps contract. Courtney, I made six hundred thirty-eight dollars every two weeks.
2: So at that same time, I was. Uh, I just started grad school. Okay. And um I was working at Chelsea Piers. I left Chelsea Piers or they asked me to leave. And <laughs> 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 and a minute later I was an intern at at a roundabout. Um and I was I was making $5 an hour working 40 hours a week. <laughs> Ooh.
3: $5 an hour.
2: Yep. It was an internship. Ooh, yep.
3: So you had to work for four hours before you could get a plate of food
2: mm.
3: from from a restaurant. Mm.
2: Now I was in school, so I, and I had loans, so I had some some other funds. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And at the time, to- at the time, what's really sad, like it's crazy to say this now, but like at the time, that was more than minimum wage. Minimum wage is at that time minimum wage like went from like four twenty five to seven twenty five I think like later and then okay. and then you know more recently up to fifteen dollars but in New York state not i mean still it's seven twenty five yeah. uh nationwide I believe federally
3: I mean to think that minimum wage used to be so you're telling me I gotta work a hundred hours before I get five hundred dollars mm-hmm yeah
2: it's a problem it's a real problem but but I was just trying to age us I mean I was just trying to put us on the same parallel plane that's all (laughs) and that was my first my first understanding like real understanding of what a teaching artist was
3: same yeah yeah I remember teaching the class uh, we we met twice a week Mm -hmm. for two and a half hours each day um through the Harlem Children's Zone, it was called the real. It was well, the real deal was the television show that we produced, and Hot Works was the the theater group, uh, and it was built out of a youth-produced newspaper called Harlem Overheard. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hot was an acronym for Harlem Overheard Theater Works. Um, oh. Yeah, and that that really opened. I was like, oh, I I love this, and you know teaching kids about you know renaissance artists uh but also just expanding their minds in terms of this is what theater is this is what theater can do it was it was magical it was really magical
2: and how, how long did you work there
3: i was at hcz for 11 years in a few different roles okay. um, so i was i was a teaching artist for probably about two years then as one does when you work in in not-for-profit you rise up through the ranks um I was a program coordinator, program director. I left as a program director. Um, and my program was the Employment and Technology Center. And we really use art as the primary tool to engage with young people in Harlem, um, teach them different artistic skills so they could find jobs in the creative economy. Uh, internships primarily in the creative economy, not that they were gonna go forth and be despians or visual artists or graphic artists or web designers, uh, but this world is out there for you to engage with. And it was a very different narrative than uh, most of the young people I worked with uh, were being fed at home. Mm, wow. You know, there's there's the safe jobs, the doctors, the lawyers, the nurses. What you can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you can see. Yeah.
2: Mm. And what did you enjoy about working? I mean, that's a long time, 11 years. What did you enjoy yeah, about was, working uh, there?
3: You know, I met uh, my partner working there and, and um, it, you know, it was meaningful work. It was, it was real Uh, seeing a young person from freshman year to senior year and seeing that growth, it's, it changes you, you know, and it was during a time when um, hope was the weapon I was arming myself with. Uh and young people I think are the greatest vision of hope. Um, they are hope. They are, they are, they're everything, you know, and being able to invest in that um was really meaningful to me. And I can't, you know, I've come from a long line of educators. My 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 parents, my father was in business, um, but he also had his hands in the community. My mother, my grandparents, they were all educators. Um and it it sort of came naturally, and it felt like I was doing the family job, you know. Um, I was just doing it in a little, little different way, but um, it fed my soul in in a way that I I never could have imagined, you know.
2: Um, I want to ask more, but I it, it, you're making me um think about something I said today to someone where I they were asking me like, what you know, where do you think you're gonna go next? And I was like, I don't. I don't have a clue. I don't have any clues about like what my next chapters may be, but I know that there's gotta be that thing that I don't have a name for that. I feel in my gut that I'm naming, I'm saying is passion, but it's that thing that I'm like that. And, and it sounds like you, you, you understand the that for yourself. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I want to change the world. Mm. I cannot do that by myself. Um, I want to empower people to change the world and work through others to do so. Uh, And I think art and sports are the two things that we can build a genuine dialogue around, recognize our differences and be okay with it and lean into those differences and say, the reason why I'm dope is because I'm different than you. And you need me to be on the team because you can't play every position. It's that simple. That's why people love comic books. That's why people love superheroes. That's why people love fiction and science fiction. It's because you are recognized and appreciated and rewarded for your difference on the team. Ain't but one hulk, one thor. You know the Black Widow, like all of them, come together. The Black Panther, not because they're the same, but the Avengers are a team of freaks who come together and are celebrated for their differences, and they're always
2: outcasts.
3: So, I and I love that. I
2: know. I find that, and the, and they always think, "I gotta help. It's my duty." Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I may be an outcast, but I'm still. I need to help.
3: That's right, people. Right. And the same people who wouldn't give you water if you were dying of thirst. But it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not cut like that. It's not an eye for an eye, you know? Um, and I think once we get to the point of, as humanity, recognizing that um, we gotta help each other, period. 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 No if, ands, or buts, are they not like me, Or or they don't have what I have. Um, how are we going to do it? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm curious about. How are we going to do it? And how can we empower each other and give each other the tools to do it in a way that is sustainable, responsible, and, uh, and ultimately world change.
0: Thank you for listening to episode 56, act one of teaching artistry with Courtney J body, James C Horton, arm yourself with hope. Join us next time for act two. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John o. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB and now on YouTube, Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.
1: Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.